consider buying your processed oboe and bassoon cane from those friendly folks over at Barton Cane. Processed with care and precision for your everyday reed-making needs. Take the pain and injury out of reed-making by letting Barton Cane do the hard, repetitive, boring stuff. Free up time for practicing happy hours, hikes, baking, and spending time with friends and family. Barton Cane, here for you. Visit www.bartoncane.com. Specializing in the finest assortment of oboes, clarinets, bassoons, and their accessories, RDG Woodwinds serves musicians around the world. Their employees are all professional musicians who have a deep knowledge of the products that they sell. RDG's repair shop has an international reputation with a combined 100 plus years of service among the five repair technicians. Plain and simple, RDG provides excellent products and fabulous customer service. Visit them at rdgwoodwinds.com. They look forward to working with you. Hi, I'm Galit Kaunitz. And I'm Jackie Wilson. And you're listening to Double Read Dish, a podcast for oboists, bassoonists, and the people who love them. Hey girl, school. we're back to school. <laughs> Why are you so happy? <laughs> I don't know, honestly, and I can't remember if we've even dished since my break had been over. But as my aforementioned fifteen day break, oh yes, because I told y'all I came back from it early. I've just been like obsessed with playing the bassoon lately, and like our tour and recording is coming up and I'm super stoked for that. And yeah. That's awesome. Alert the presses. Jackie has a good attitude. (laughs) (laughs) Enjoy it while it lasts. Don't blink. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I, uh, if you didn't listen to the last episode, I was enjoying my break from playing the oboe and then I got COVID. Uh, so that extended my break <laughs> slightly. I mean, uh, <laughs> so I've been getting back into playing the oboe. So I wouldn't say that I'm totally in love with it yet. How is that going? Like, how is for you? All bodies are different, of course. But for you, how was getting back into playing post COVID? It's pretty awful. Like. I have been feeling dizzy a lot more frequently with, you know, just having to like play a second and then take a break and then play and then take a break and let the dizziness pass and blah, blah, blah. So yeah, that those symptoms are subsiding somewhat. Um, And then it's just the regular get back in shape nonsense. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's brutal. <laughs> But I've been doing my finger wiggles and my Selmer etudes and, you know, just, just doing what I could do. And, you know, of course, when you get back in shape, you're like, oh, I shouldn't play on a new read. And then you're like, okay, maybe I should play on a new read. And then you're like, God, I feel terrible. My mouth. <laughs> my mouth. <laughs> so that's where I'm at. Uh, Galit doesn't have a good attitude. <laughs> It's like we've switched places. I know. It's weird. 
<laughs> well, you came up with this dish topic. It's a little morbid. That's me, though. <laughs> it's always like, what awkward thing can I say that makes people feel uncomfortable? <laughs> No, I think it's a great dish topic, but it's kind of funny because, so the topic is, uh, what would be your musical last meal? Uh And, um, you ended up meaning listening, but at first I thought you meant like playing, like if you only had one more. Oh, I didn't even think of it that way. What would it be? So that's how I came at it first, but let's start with listening. What would be your musical last meal listening wise? Okay, so I'm going to steal my wife's suggestion. I have a few. So Mahler 1, for sure. Just something to get you totally hyped up. Um, And then some Strauss Four Last Songs. And then uh, some Beethoven, either five or seven. Probably five. No Beyonce? I don't feel like Beyonce is the last meal. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> you know? Oh, like but if you're I'm gonna listen, wait, you're gonna do the four last songs? Is it like, but it's like sandwiched so in between? <laughs> <laughs> it's not just the four last songs, it's like Mahler one, four last songs, Beethoven five. Yeah, they're great, like <laughs> selections, but it's because the irony of the actual last meal is that you're not hungry, right? You have no appetite. And so you're really leaning into that with, uh, okay, if you know it's the last thing you're ever going to listen to and you're like, how about some Strauss four last song? Let's just be real depressed when I go. like, (laughs) Or at least melodrama. Like you're leaning into the moment. Have you met me? (laughs) And Mahler? (laughs) Good. Girl, come on. <laughs> I'm so glad my choices have been validated. Okay, what are yours? <laughs> um, I always said that if God came down and was like, okay, it's your time to go. You can hear one more thing before you go. I always said it would be specifically the horn solo from the second movement of Tchaikovsky's Fifth Symphony. So beautiful. I don't know. I know you're married to a horn player, so you probably <laughs> hear it being practiced all the time. <laughs> also, you'll oh, this will probably get a similar reaction, but one piece I did consider was the Strauss Oboe Concerto movement. But I don't have baggage with it. I just get to sit back and enjoy, like, where to breathe. I don't care. I want to listen. (laughs) Figure it out. Don't breathe anywhere that's going to disrupt my listening because it's my last (laughs) time to hear it. (laughs) Oh, wait. I have, okay. I have a Jackie approved last meal song. Okay. So, you know, on YouTube, there's that video of Beyonce singing Halo in the hospital room. Oh, my God. This is like the depression hour. (laughs) It's going to be called Double Read Drag. (laughs) Double Read Sad. (laughs) Beyonce singing in the hospital room. It's going to cheer you up. good. (laughs) 
Holy moly. Okay, well, I'm not the only one who came up with some depressing suggestions. Okay, well, but wait. If it had been my interpretation and it was the last piece you got to play, okay, what would it be? Uh, would I want to waste my last precious moments playing? Well, it doesn't mean you die immediately after you play. <laughs> it just means it's the last thing you play. Which, as people, like, I don't know about you, but I will retire. Oh, yeah. I will not be one of those people who's I'm like out. 80. Like, I will sell my bassoon. <laughs> I'm moving to the Bahamas. Goodbye. It's been swell. So it, it's conceivable that I will know okay. the last piece that I play play, at least as a professional. So, okay. yeah, this isn't like <laughs> worst case scenario. Okay. In that case. Oh, that's hard. I see. I hadn't thought of it that way. Tell me yours first. I'll think. Well, okay. So my, I'm going to be a little corny, but my thing that came to my mind first was the Connor Chi trio for oboe, bassoon, and piano. That was part of the commission consortium. Like if y'all have not heard this piece, it's so, it's beautiful, but it's also sweet and it's sweeping and emotional, but it's not saccharine. It's just wonderful and i cannot play it without crying i get so <laughs> emotional even practicing it because we have these recordings that we made to get ready for tour and recording that like we'll play alongside so we can hear the other parts and even when i'm like sitting in my office i'm like i love my friends so much Look at what we're doing together. oh my god this music's so moving and oh. it just, it, i was like crying at idrs making an idiot out of myself <laughs> everyone was like what is wrong with this girl like stop crying that you have one friend but <laughs> <laughs> but so yeah maybe before i retire to the bahamas you'll have to come to pullman and play connor's piece one last oh my time. god it's insane <laughs> I can't think of anything that tops that. Your, we'll play our last piece together. Okay, that sounds great. Or you can play the Strauss Oboe Concerto and Serenade Me. That's only if my last concert is significantly earlier than yours. <laughs> or if by that time they figure out a way to like implant a third lung. <laughs> <laughs> or if we get more cool with breaths. <laughs> And I'll be happy to. Or what's that one recording where the oboist was like, hey, clarinet, why don't you take a couple notes so I can have a breather? Yeah, yeah John Delancey. I love that. Like, what a baller move. Like, who do I have to impress? I'm John Delancey. Here, clarinet, take a couple notes. What do I care? Take what you need. Right? <laughs> take what you need and the universe will give it to you. And sometimes the universe is a clarinet player stealing some of your notes in the Strauss Up Concerto. <laughs> What else are they good for, honestly? I don't know. All the oboists are like, bassoonist, will you stop talking about that very famous recording right now, please? <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay, so <laughs> I was not the only one to pick depressing music. Rachel Becker. Friend of the podcast. Delightful human being. I might second the B minor mass. This was in response to someone else, uh, Nancy Lehrer, who also suggested the Bach B minor mass. Uh, but maybe a potpourri concert featuring the slow movement from Beethoven 7. Depressing. <gasps> so Something... depressing. <laughs> <laughs> Something from Rachmaninoff 2. And a little bit of War Requiem. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Rachel, we're on the same page, girl. 
We said musical last meal, not music to die by. (laughs) (laughs) Similarly, Ingrid said an all barber concert. Mm -hmm. So she wants to hear some like a dodge over strings. Yeah. (laughs) That's how I'm going to go. I want somebody, if I'm I'm taking my last breath. I want somebody to just press play on the Barbara Daggio for strings. <laughs> and I'll like push over the stereo and be like, no. And then turn on Beyonce. We're not going out like this. Halo, halo, halo. <laughs> oh my God. Okay. Reeve says maybe Firebird uh, or Shostakovich nine beautiful bassoon solos in both. I I feel like Reeve went the way, the direction you did with this, Jackie. Like, what would I like to play? Oh, Christopher Raymond, another like completely piece that will give you existential breakdown. Mahler <laughs> two, <laughs> even just the finale. <laughs> Okay, it's the existential hour. (laughs) But Annie just says, definitely not the overture to the marriage of Figaro, which I can second, of course. Yeah, let's not traumatize ourselves. Or let's do, apparently, for some (laughs) reason. Founded by Logan Esterling, Reed Design is pushing the boundaries of oboe and English horn reed making. They take the knowledge they've collected from hundreds of reeds and, with the power of machine learning, derive patterns and trends that accurately predict the characteristics of finished reeds while early in the sorting process. The result is quality reeds with characteristics you can count on. Using their products will save you valuable time and let you get back to what you love, making music. Visit www.readdesign.io to learn more. That's R-E-E-D-E-S-I-G-N dot I-O. Chemical City Double Reads is a full-service double read shop specializing in the sale of instruments, cane, accessories, and sheet music. Double Read Dish listeners can enjoy free shipping with code DRDISH, all caps, no spaces. Visit them in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, or online at chemicalcityreads.com. We are so happy to welcome to Double Read Dish, Mark Ortwine, Assistant Principal Bassoon and Contrabassoon of the Indianapolis Symphony Orchestra. Mark, welcome to the podcast. Hello. I'm excited to talk to you guys today. (laughs) We love to get to know our guests by asking them how they started playing their instruments. So could you tell us how you began with the bassoon? Sure. So I, well, I started on piano. Um, and then, then I started saxophone. I was actually very sure I was going to be a trumpet player, funny enough. And I went to a music camp and uh, I got to try all the instruments. It's like after my fifth grade year. So we're going in sixth grade. I was sure I was going to be a trumpet player, but then uh, I chose the saxophone, funny enough, and the euphonium. So I played saxophone and euphonium uh, for several years. And then in ninth grade, uh, my freshman year, we were playing, I still remember it was the Windstar Overture. I can't remember who wrote that. Um, 
and I was playing first euphonium in the concert band, and then I played saxophone in the jazz band. And um, it had a bassoon solo. Well, there's no bassoon player in the band. So uh, my band director, who actually I was teaching, taking some private lessons from also, was playing with like Wayne Newton at night. And all my teachers were playing with Frank Sinatra and different people like that. And, uh, and he's like, man, if you played bassoon and the saxophone and the flute and clarinet, like you'd write your ticket. Like at the time in Las Vegas, um, every big hotel had full show orchestras. Mm-hmm. So if you could play all the, you know, you had to play saxophone, flute and clarinet pretty well. And then if you played oboe or bassoon, well, um, like you're kind of guaranteed work. So I think, huh, okay. This bassoon sounds pretty interesting. So, um, there happened to be a bassoon recital happening at UNLV and it was John Beebe who now teaches at Appalachian state. And, um, it was just fascinating. It's like, Oh my God, this thing's really cool instrument. Love the way it looks, it sounds. Um, so I c- talked to him and started taking lessons like immediately with him. Mm-hmm. And, um, it was great that I got to, I got, st- I studied with him for several months before I walked into band. So like I got a lot of my basics down, I think was really important. I wasn't having to, having to play, you know, in band where I couldn't play the music yet. And I'm trying, you know, making up my fingerings cause I didn't know what I'm doing. So, so I got a really good basis, I think from him, uh, you know, l- learning this stuff correctly right off the bat. And, uh, and then I just took off. I loved bassoon. Absolutely loved, loved the bassoon. And so that's how that all started. I never quit the saxophone either. So that a lot of people do that, obviously. Um, and then I flute and clarinet too. I play those as well, but um, not as well. <laughs> so I'm a saxophonist and a bassoonist, I would say, you know, professional quality certainly. And then um, flute and clarinet, I, I play as a, a double. So kind of how and when did you decide like, I think I want to be a professional musician. And it sounds like you had all of these potential paths to walk down. Um, Talk us through your training and educational journey and and maybe what thought processes informed Mm -hmm. your next steps. Sure. So I was making like all state band and things like that. Like after one year I made first chair in the all state band and I just, I really hit the bassoon hard. I I was practicing a lot really loved it um so it was just it was in high school um so john bb was he was he was only there for one year and then he went off to wisconsin to do his doctorate with richard lotridge and then i studied with yoshi ishikawa so my um i guess my final three years in high school i studied with yoshi that was his first job uh at unlv in las vegas and um it was great. He, you know, he guided me through all that. I never quit saxophone. I was still taking saxophone lessons and even some separate jazz lessons and kept everything going um, and continued to do well. I went to Rocky Ridge music camp um, in Colorado and let's see, I, I won there. Well, they, I didn't win it. They had like five concerto winners, but I was one of the concerto winners. I played the second, third movement, the Mozart and, I was one of the guest featured guys with the, I think they hit him with Sonata or something like that, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so I was getting a lot of success early on, I guess. And I was practicing a lot and started read making, which is very important. <laughs> um, 
with John BB and also of course with Yoshi. Um, so then I decided, okay, I want to go to college. I'm going to do this. I wanted to get out of Las Vegas. Um, so I started, uh, contacting different teachers and schools and audition for some people. And so I got into, you know, Eastman and Juilliard and, um, USC. And I remember, never forget this one, USC with, with, uh, Norman Hertzberg. Um, he's like, okay, well, yeah, I'd love to have you in my studio, but you have to quit saxophone. I was like, well, no, thanks. <laughs> I'm not gonna do that. Um, I probably would have got an orchestral job way earlier had I done that. But, um, <laughs> but, uh, and later on in life, actually, I got to study with, with Hertzberg a little bit, um, which we can talk about a little later. So I went to school at Loyola in New Orleans, where I was able to be a full double major. So I had uh, taken jazz saxophone lessons with the guy who was a, just came off the road with the Woody Herman band and <clears throat> Harry Connick Jr. were some freshmen with me, a bunch of, you know, top jazz guys. And then um, Crawford Best was the principal bassoon in New Orleans Symphony. And he was one of the original bubonic bassoon quartet guys too, mm -hmm. uh, with, with John Miller. Um, so then I, I got to stay with him full time. Great player, really great player. Um, so that's that's how I started, and I did a little bit of flute and clarinet here and there. I took that a little, I took that a little serious, more seriously later. I actually took lessons and you know took took each one seriously, so I could I could do the Broadway type playing. Mm -hmm. right. So yeah, so I was there just two years, and then uh, I went to Brevard one summer in between. Uh, my freshman year and then then I worked as a bus boy after my sophomore year in Las Vegas which was not fun <laughs> um, yeah it was crazy I was doing all the um, vacation time so I'd I'd go from like 11 at night to 7 in the morning in the 24-hour coffee shop that, that got pretty interesting at the Dunes Hotel in Las Vegas and uh yeah, so I had different different shifts the whole time. And then I went to school in Boston. After that, I went to Boston University. And um, so like New Orleans, the, the jazz department was great. And the jazz scene, of course, in New Orleans was great. But the classical scene wasn't wasn't all that great. The, the New Orleans Symphony folded soon after that. Mm -hmm. um, so several people are, even after my freshman year, it's like, oh, Mark, you should go to New York or Boston or something like that. So I finally did make the move and uh, studied with Matt Ruggiero. And it's funny, Matt, uh, so I auditioned for him and then he gave me an assignment over the summer. He said, just practice technique, practice, practice, practice. I don't want to work on that. <laughs> he just wants to work on music. So, mm -hmm. um, and it's funny, he, we really didn't cover all that much technique. So Jacqueline, I don't know how you're, cause you studied with him years later. Yeah, he um, always said, no one wants to hear the bassoon. They want to hear music. They want to hear music, right. <laughs> so it's funny. We didn't talk about bassoon all that much, even reeds, you know, just a little bit. And mm -hmm. uh, I mean, I, I needed, actually, I needed a little bit of that, um, which I got later. But it was, you know, we just talked about music all the time. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, solve solve your technic, technique issues with, with musical musicality. Right. <laughs> you know, different mm -hmm. ways to play things musically, mm -hmm. which then would help. So, um, but I really enjoyed him and he, uh, my dad is actually a really good singer. So I kind of grew up with, uh, you know, really good tenor, tenor voice. 
in my head and heard all the time. <laughs> and uh, so Matt, uh, he he definitely encouraged that. You know, mm-hmm. so listen to a lot of opera. You know, again, don't think like you said. Don't think about the bassoon. You have to be singing at all times. So mm-hmm. so really really try to think of that. Um, still do in my playing yeah, for sure. Yeah. And there at Boston University, I was I was just a bassoon major, mm-hmm. and um, I did play like lead tenor in the jazz band there. And I started to play a lot on the outside too. I played in some really good uh, jazz jazz things outside of the outside of the school. So I didn't let that go. Although I wasn't really practicing the saxophone anymore, I really concentrated on bassoon much mm-hmm. more. And uh, my senior year was top woodwind finalist for the concerto competition. And then I won this other competition. It was only, a, that was, that was for everybody actually. And the, the winner would play at the Boston pops. Um, and then the other one, there was a one only undergrads and I won that one. It was Alan Mark Roberts competition or something like that. Um, but a good story about the, the concerto competition. So I played the Mozart, mm-hmm. uh, the, the whole thing, all three moves. And it had to be memorized. And the prelims, we had uh, the brass department, woodwind department, strings, piano, all all did separate. And then they picked two two people from each division. Well, right. it was in a smaller room, and I played played really well, and um, ended up being the top winner. So, uh, so then the finals were in the big big auditorium, which was, I don't think they're there anymore because they opened the Sci Hall after that. So it was this dead, big old dead room. So mm-hmm. I get in there right off the bat. I do quack, quack, you know, I just like, <laughs> cracked both B flats. And again, uh, Mr. Ruggiero didn't, he talked about flicking, but not the venting thing, which again, that's, I, I learned that from Hertzberg <laughs> a few years later. Um, so, you know, right off the bat, I'm, it's going through my head. Oh, they should, you know, they're just going to tell me to sit down and stop playing. And, you know, <laughs> so I just I really played a mind game and I had a little couple of little memory slips and stuff like that. And uh, mm. it's like, oh, so that I did not win that one. But uh, <laughs> then I moved to um, New York City after graduating and uh, started that when I started taking like clarinet especially seriously because to, to play on Broadway, you have to play really good clarinet and bass clarinet. So um, I started practicing that a lot more. I was freelancing in different orchestras still back in New England area too, a bit. Mm-hmm. And um, I started wooden repair apprenticing with the best clarinet repair guy in, in the city, which now I've, I've been doing that now my whole life. I've been doing you know, different forms of instant repair. So that was really big. I would con- encourage anybody who's interested in that to get into instrument repair. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a couple schools you can go to, like Red Wing. Um, if you graduate from that, it's like you're guaranteed a job, and you can go almost anywhere in the country. It's a really good field. And then bassoon repair is even smaller, of course, and right. much more detailed and different, way different. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> um, so during the pandemic, that was a big plus. I started apprenticing <laughs> with Jimmy Keys. I would go down and spend a week in Tennessee with Jimmy Keys, and 
and learning, you know, how to put in tubes and how to make keys and how to really voice things better and to make pads and things like that. It's like saxophone, you know, you just buy the pads and, uh, but the high end bassoon work, most of the people are, are making, making their own pads, which is much different. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, it's been great lear- learning all that from, from Jimmy. So, yeah, so that's kind of how everything started. And then, um, well, oh, I forgot one very key point. I got married right out of undergrad. <laughs> oh. I had just turned 22, just got married. Um, that sounds like someone I know. Which, yeah. <laughs> Who, Jackie or you? Me. <laughs> I'm not even 40. We've been together almost 20 years now. Everyone's yeah, yeah. like, how did that happen? I don't right. know, but it's working right. out. <laughs> right. Yeah, mine didn't work out all that good. Uh, oh well. <laughs> except I was I was with her for 22 years, but, but she didn't like New York. Like mm. I would, I, I'd probably still be in New York right now, really, um, had that not happened. Right. But she didn't like it, so we we there was an audition at Las Vegas Symphony back playing second to Yoshi. Funny enough, so I said, okay, well, shit, okay. <laughs> I took that and won that, so I decided, okay, well. Let's go back to Las Vegas. And then I got to sub on shows. I was playing the Legends and Concerts show with mm-hmm. like the Elvis impersonator and all that. Um, it was, you know, rock and roll tenor sax show mostly. But then the most terrifying thing is you had to play, once Elvis came on, he was the big closer. Okay. Um, you had to play a flute solo. And you were playing rock and roll tenor sax for like an hour straight. And, your lips all puffed up. Then you have to play this flute solo, and it's just Dixie, da 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 da. You know, and it, was like, and it was just terrifying every night. Like, is anything going to come out at all you know, with, the, with the flute? That's so, the scary um, thing about doubling. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, and so I still do some shows, and really have to practice everything back to back. Like I could, I could play through all the flute stuff, and I'll be fine, but. It's way different if you're playing clarinet for five minutes before that and then have to pick up the flute. So, right. um, so yeah, different, way different skill set than um, mm-hmm. practicing and all that. Can I, can I interject with a question? Sure. Yes, please. So you, seems like you always had a passion for music and um, some people's response to, you know, discovering and nurturing that passion is to specialize and right. your response is to expand and diversify and to a a point. (laughs) Yeah. I'd love to hear more about that because I think it's really smart, you know, like financially, personally, I think it's a really smart thing to do and it's not something that I have in me to do. So I'd love to Mm -hmm. hear more about that perspective. Sure. So again, like I said, I'm, I'm a sax player and a bassoon player. Uh-huh. Like top top level, you know, but clarinet and flute, nah. There's I I play them when I have to, and it's certainly much lower level. Uh-huh. Um, uh-huh. Although you know, if I'm I just came out with two albums actually, I hope to let you know about that. One's a jazz album, and I'm playing some flute on there, and it's like, man, I sound good, but I sound good for like a couple minutes, and then <laughs> it's like, oh, okay. <laughs> um, so, and I so I know I know my limits, but um. 
especially when I was younger, I pl- I practiced so much bassoon. I mean, bassoon really is what I put most of my practice time in and read, read these days is mostly read making mm-hmm. uh, more than practicing. Um, Isn't that always the way? Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is. And then saxophone, you know, one point in my life I practiced a lot, but um, it's so much easier technically. And right. I think everything I'm practicing on bassoon transfers in a way. Um, but then most of my jazz stuff I practiced on saxophone. So uh, certain patterns, like when I'm playing jazz bassoon, I really have to think, and I'll kind of revert to like saxophone fingerings, which don't always work. Sometimes it's a cool effect, but, um, and then like somebody like Paul Hansen's kind of done the opposite. We were kind of similar in a lot of ways for, for a long time. And then he started, he kind of went the opposite route and went full time doing the jazz and rock and all that and started taking more jazz he would bring his bassoon on uh, like jazz quartet gigs and he would play one or two tunes and that's kind of what i'm doing now i always play a couple with my own quartet um but then he just started more and more and more and then now he's not playing much saxophone at all where i'm still you know if i'm playing some fast bebop tune ah i'm gonna play it on saxophone because i'm i'm way better (laughs) i haven't i haven't spent the practice time that somebody like paul has so you know, it's all about practice in, um, I mean, there's no getting around that. <laughs> yeah. So, so whatever you're going to do and practicing for auditions is different. Um, yeah, it's just a, a whole, whole different thing. So and it's um, obvious that you've, that, sorry to interrupt you. Um, it's wait. obvious that you've acquired a really high level achievement on both and in many styles and right. You know, people work their entire lives to achieve proficiency on one instrument in one style. <laughs> so what is what is the secret? Is it listening? Is it uh, just a ton, a ton of practice or natural talent? Or like, what do you think it is that that um, that really gets you that level of success in such a wide uh, world of achievement? Right. So, I mean, listening, you, you, I think you hit it, hit it nail on the head right there. I listen all the time to different types of music. Um, I try to get all my students, bassoon students listening to opera singers and um, like cellists, like Yo-Yo Ma, you know, just get that sound in your head. Um, the jazz people, I, I, I give them nowadays is so easy. You just, give them a bunch of YouTube assignments, you know, say, listen to this person and this person, this person. So, uh, yeah, my whole life I've listened to all different types of jazz. So if it's an old time swing thing, I know how to sound. If it's a pop tune, I know exactly how, what I need to do to sound that way. Um, and I practiced enough to, to, to be able to do that. So it's a, it's a big combination of, of the two. Um, and I think I started so young listening jazz, like right off the bat, I was listening to jazz. And then I grew up with my dad, who was a really great tenor. So I've kind of had that music in my ear, I guess. Do you my... think jazz, do you think classical musicians should be listening to more um, different styles of music? Definitely. Especially clarinet players. <laughs> <laughs> because 
because we'll do these pop shows and they'll have to play like a Benny Goodman solo. And it's like, oh, man, like they're just not even hit the style even close. It's like, yeah, it's very square. Probably. It's like and then they'll, they'll go listen to it. But it's, it's like it's too late now. You didn't start listening. <laughs> you know, if you would have started listening to the stuff in high school and really get that yeah. in your head and kind of yeah. practice the articulations. And sometimes I'll I'll go and like write a little articulation thing on their part. Just like, OK, don't play this short long. It's long, short. And it makes the world of difference. And the <laughs> accents know? are different too, right? Oh, way different. Yeah. So, and you can't tongue in your everything. And like in, in I, I do a lot of recordings uh, still uh, for like jazz band. And um, you usually don't have hardly any articulation stuff. Yeah. And we and look you, at that and we're like, ta, 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 ta. Right, right. <laughs> and it's like, no, no, no. <laughs> You know, and the, you know, the whole saxophone section, we know what to do. So it's, and it's just together. And if the lead alto player wants to change something, then they can change something. But in general, like we know what to do. So, um, so yeah, so much of this listening and I would say, you know, early on start listening to everything. I still, I listen to a lot of pop music too, you know, listen to, I really try to listen to everything except country. I'm not, I like old country. I love like Willie Nelson and Johnny Cash and. Old country. Yeah. People Loretta like, Lynn. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Patsy yeah. Klein, all the, you know, yeah. all that stuff. But some of the new stuff, you know, kind of more poppy um, country. What You're also a very um, accomplished recording artist. So what are some skills that are really important when you go into a recording session? Um, sight reading. Oh. <laughs> so, yeah, sight reading. I always have, with bassoon, I always have different, different reads, too. Um, so I recorded different, different studios. And so I kind of, now I kind of know I'm going to need to read to be like this or this. Um, there's some, some recordings of popular bassoon players that you hear it and they're like, oh man, they're kind of like too bright or too reedy, blah, blah, blah. Well, you know, so I, I consciously think that it's like, I'm going to play a darker read if I'm close mic'd than I would in a, a symphony hall. I want, you know, one little buzz to get carry out in the hall. So, um, so think of that different, different reads. Um, sometimes we'll do a session if it's a bigger orchestra that you're not close mic'd and then you can play more like you would on a live performance. Um, but sight reading is obviously super important. Um, for me with saxophone, uh, I record all the Hal Leonard, Alfred publishing, Carl Fisher publishing, couple of the big biggest band guys in the world now are coming and doing recordings. I walked into all this work in Indianapolis, which is crazy. I didn't know about and even Disney and ice we record here. So I I'm playing all the, on those I'm playing bassoon, bass clarinet, contra bassoon, Barry sax, even bass sax, sometimes tenor sax solos. A couple of weeks ago, we did a session where I played all, all five sax parts. They had me overdub the full sax section on that stuff. Um, so for that stuff, like the Hal Leonard stuff, we'll, we'll play, you know, classical stuff and then we'll be doing pop and jazz. So I, I have different setups, different mouthpieces and everything all ready to go and reads, reads, reads. That's what's really important to have, have your reads ready. You know, that's, mm-hmm. that's one of the big things and obviously intonation, everything you gotta be, you gotta be on. 
Can we hear a little bit about your path to the Indianapolis Symphony and winning your current position? Sure. So, yeah, so that brings me back to Las Vegas. So I was in Las Vegas, I can't, man, almost like, I think six months. And I took a, a audition, an audition for the Air Force Band on saxophone. It was in Southern California. Just kind of take to take the audition, actually, I was going to start my master's uh, UNLV on bassoon. And then I just took this audition and I won it. It's like, huh, wow, well, huh, maybe I should do this. So I ended up joining the Air Force Band and it was wonderful. Man, it was really probably the best job for me. It was because um, I was playing lead alto in the jazz band, which included a lot of soprano sax, flute clarinet piccolo i had to learn stars and stripes right away so i played stars and stripes hundreds and hundreds of times so even in the concert band i was playing like the barry sax bass clarinet bassoon it's kind of small wind ensemble and then uh, mm-hmm. stand up and play stars and stripes at the end of piccolo <laughs> um so i was doing everything and playing a lot of a lot of jazz and stuff of course we had to march um but they paid for me to take lessons too so anybody, you know, you could take lessons. Um, so I was taking with some of the top L.A. studio players, um, jazz and doubling. And then that's when I got to study with Hertzberg. I went and, uh, and took lessons with Hertzberg. It's funny. He didn't charge me. He just said, okay, if you come back and um, you didn't practice what I told you, then I'm going to charge you. So <laughs> <laughs> but he, he was wonderful and really, really turned things around a lot, I think, um, as far as the technique. Mm-hmm. things that I felt I needed in, uh, and reads. So like, so really, really kind of turned, turned me around a bit to get my technique better and more clear with the venting and all that. Um, so I did that for four years and then won a principal bassoon job at the air force Academy band and mm-hmm. went there that I was just principal bassoon. And so it was a little different where I'm only playing, but we toured around the world, which is pretty cool. And, Whenever I was in a big city, I would try to get a lesson with whoever I could, like John Miller or mm-hmm. Bill Bill Buckman in Chicago, um, and and talk reads. I, that's one super important thing. I tried to learn read making, or you know how everybody like how do you bevel? How do I just asked everybody you know these questions? Right. So my read style today is just a culmination of all these different people that I, I learned things from. So um, and I still I still try different shapes and. I still try something. Yeah. I don't, you know, I ask people all the time, you know, and oh, let's just sit down and watch you make, make a blank. Let me see what you do. So, um, so then I was there for four years and kind of had it with the military. I had two kids by this point too, and moved to Cincinnati. So, and my ex-wife was from there. So it kind of made sense. Plus I really actually had wanted to study with Bill Winstead years before mm-hmm. that when he was in Florida state. But, um, uh, he had just been kind of going back and forth between there and Cincinnati. And so, so this time I was like, okay. And I it looked at lucked out that uh, I got to study with him. It's funny. I did, um, I did really well in the gelée competition right before that. And I had sent him a tape of me. I think my stuff from that and some other things I've done and saxophone playing and everything. Mm-hmm. And he's like, man, it's like, I don't know if I can take you as a student. I just, you seem, you might be so set in your ways and 
I don't, you know, I don't know if I can, <laughs> I can work with you. So I was like, man, well, let me just come play for you. So I finally went and played for him. And, um, and so I luckily things worked out and I got to study with him. And, and as far as orchestral playing, man, he just really, and get ready for auditions. He really turned things around for me. Mm -hmm. so he was wonderful. He's a, he's probably the best teacher I've ever had. Just really, really great ears. Listen to me for five minutes and keep tell me like all my problems. <laughs> you know? So he, he was really wonderful. So I got to do my master's out there in Cincinnati with him and that's awesome. Which was kind of interesting, you know, like being in school full time and having small kids. And I was still doing a lot of freelancing. I was playing a lot of orchestras. I was playing R&B gigs. I was playing stuff all over the place. And Broadway shows, I was doing a lot of shows in Louisville, even Indianapolis, even Cleveland. They brought me up to do some things as being a good bassoon doubler. You know, there's not too many who could play play all the stuff, all that low woodwind stuff well. So then when I finally got out of school, I really could zero in on some things that we were, we were working on and um, really felt like then all of a sudden my playing really, really was ready for, for auditions. You know, I'd taken other auditions before, but most of them were second bassoon, like in Chicago and some other things that <laughs> no, nah, I was, I was not, my reads were not ready for that. I wasn't ready for that, you know. Once they hit the Brahms violin concerto came about, like every time my reads were too big, I've struggled through it. And so, yeah. So yeah, that was really big turning point as far as my orchestral playing, for sure. Right. But like I was playing saxophone. I was in the saxophone section with the Cincinnati Pops with Eric Kunzel and, you know, doing a lot of work, but uh, really to focus on winning a bassoon audition is different. Like you just have to, it's like Olympic training. Mm -hmm. You have to like kind of set everything aside. Um, just dedicate like your, all your time and thoughts and tons of read making. And uh, I recorded myself so much back then uh, to listen back to see and test myself, you know, do different lists and then record, sit down and record them and make sure I don't, you know, I don't play it once, like like a real recording or a real audition. You know, I so I did a lot, a lot of that, getting mm -hmm. ready for auditions. And I learned every audition I've taken. So this is one thing I'll say to to younger people or anybody: <laughs> um, take a lot of auditions. Like start taking them, even if you're in college and um, let's say you're going to school in Boston and there's something close by, even Boston's really, um, you know, try try to take it because. Every time I've done an audition, I, I learned something about myself mm -hmm. or something musically not to do. Uh, one of the auditions I took, I think right after I graduated in, in Cincinnati, was a one-year job, principal bassoon in Louisville Orchestra. Mm -hmm. So I went and took it. I was feeling really good. And uh, so I made it through the first round. Second round comes about. I put on a suit for whatever reason. And then it, cause I, I didn't know if I was behind a screen or not. I should have asked, <laughs> which I didn't. Um, so I'm wearing a suit. It was on a Sunday where nothing was open. So like you play the prelims and then you're sitting around for hours. I, there was nothing to eat. I didn't bring anything mm -hmm. to eat. Mm -hmm. um, I didn't bring water on stage with me. So, you know, it's like, 
I get out there, start playing. It's like, I'm hungry. I'm hot because I shouldn't have worn this suit. And, uh, and, and I was like, I was playing fine. And then, uh, they called Beethoven four. Okay. I had just played that in school. I, you know, don't have trouble with that one. Well, I just, I flubbed it. You know, I'm hot and my mouth is dry. I flubbed it. And then the conductor asked again, play it again. I think I played it four times. And it's just like, wasn't perfectly clean. Mm-hmm. And then played the rest of the list. And then boom, that was it. I didn't get it. Right. And then later on, I got the two bassoon players on the committee still wanted, still wanted me, but the conductor just absolutely would not put me to the next round because of that. Mm-hmm. Right. So then the constant, I got to sub with them after that, um, got to know those guys. But, um, so yeah, so I, <laughs> I would never do, <laughs> don't wear a suit, even to the finals, wear something nice. If it's going to be behind a screen, ask if it's going to be, if the screen's coming down or not. Because if not, just wear whatever you want. You know, you can wear a t-shirt and you know, wear a Metallica t-shirt to one audition and some <laughs> jeans. Like, who cares? You know, just be comfortable. And I always bring water with me. Um, so, yeah, a lot of, lot of things I've learned from, from taking auditions. And that you just get better and better at it because it's different than just sitting down and playing a job. Is it mm-hmm. challenging? Um going from the symphony stage to a nightclub where you're playing jazz saxophone? Uh, no, I do that all the time. Awesome. <laughs> uh, yeah. I, I used to own a venue. I bought a church and turned it into a venue. Okay. And um, we had this internet radio show that all the local rock bands came through. So um, like every single week. So I got to know all these the people in the local rock scene and started recording. So I'm on probably like 20 albums of these people. So the different bands. So I, I tend to finish the symphony show and go play a rock show many, many times, you know, I'll finish it 10 o'clock and then I might not go on till two in the morning. I don't know. But, uh, um, so I'm doing that all the time, all the time. It's the other ways around isn't good. So, um, sometimes I'll get called to do some afternoon gig and it's like, no, I got a heavy, I've got a heavy classical show. I can't, I can't do that. I'm not going to do that. Um, or if I'm, you know, if something big on, on bassoon, I'm not going to be playing saxophone that whole, that whole day, you know? Right. Yeah. So I'll be careful about that. I do a lot of the doubling. I do a, um, like picture, pictures, at exhibition, Rachmaninoff, uh, symphonic dances where the, is that big album? sax solos i'll play contrabassoon and alto and it's it's not an issue for that but um but yeah certainly certain times i will say nope i'm not doing that gig because i need my chops fresh you know for the symphony show right uh well you'd mentioned previously your albums and we would like to hear more about those so yeah during the pandemic um I think like a lot of people, I hit it pretty hard practicing. It's like, oh, this is going to be awesome. I pulled out all my old YouTube books and started working and doing a lot of videos um, with that acapella app, you know, doing, I even did a septet. I did Sounds of Silence where I was playing, what was I playing? Flute, clarinet, bass clarinet, soprano sax, tenor sax, bassoon, and then iwi, the electronic wind instrument, (laughs) something like that. You know, it's just doing little projects like that. It was I had a lot of fun actually doing 
a lot of creative things that did during the pandemic. Um, then our orchestra cut our season and actually cut our health care. And I was like, man, I just didn't play at all for like two months. Like, mm. This is crazy. That's Maybe I was wild. like, man, should I become an electrician now? What should, what should I do now at this point in my life? Um, but then I thought, okay, I've, I wanted to do a couple solo albums. I, I'm on tons of recordings, but I've never done my own solo albums. So it's like, okay, I got to get my act together and go ahead and do it. So I planned two albums. Uh, my jazz album came out actually already. Me first, it's on all the streaming sites. So Apple Music, iTunes, Spotify, um, just put my name up and you'll still find it. So I've, I've got four cuts on jazz bassoon on that. I've written about half the album. Um, I'm playing all four saxophones, flute, clarinet, bass, clarinet. Um, really, it really turned out great. It really turned out great. My best friend plays with Wint Marsalis in the Lincoln Center group. He's on a couple of cuts playing trumpet. A friend of mine won The Voice, NBC's Voice. Oh, wow. Ago. So he's on kind of my one pop cut on the album. He's on that. Sounds awesome. So <laughs> I'm super excited about it. I did uh, most of the tracks I did live in the studio and then just did some overdubbing like adding flute on top of something or whatever you know that so so yeah so that one album's out already and then i recorded a classical album which is all done but it's not mastered yet so trying to get the guy to get on that but uh i have um a couple commissions actually one's a really great piece it's a string quartet and bassoon piece i had written for me by matt bridgham and he also wrote a piece I did at IDRS in Georgia. It was a oboe bassoon and piano piece. That wonderful, wonderful piece. So we recorded that as well. Um, Daniel Baldwin, who's he's written for a lot of bassoonists and contrapassoonists, mm -hmm. especially. Yeah. Um, there's one unaccompanied contra piece that I put on there. Um, we collaborated on a piece electric contrabassoon. This is the one I just did at the Del Reed conference mm -hmm. at the night, con night concert um, there in Boulder. And so he kind of gave me a blueprint of that one because it starts off with looping and then puts down a kind of a funk groove, then a bass line, and most of the pieces improv. Um, so he wrote a couple ideas and then I kind of made it work with all the looping stuff. So that, that one's on there. Uh, another composer, New York composer, wrote an electric bassoon piece that is very, it's, well, it's kind of rock-based and got classical elements in there also. It's a really cool piece and a lot of improvisation as well. Um, I did three of the Mignon, Mignoni waltzes, and those I put as uh, interludes rather than put them all together. Those are interludes mm. interspersed between the pieces. Mm -hmm. uh, I recorded uh, opera, one of the, opera uh, compilation pieces but that bill winstead my former teacher mm -hmm. um, had arranged so that's on there what else one one solo alto sax piece actually too uh, a mahler mahler song that's on closing closing the album mm -hmm. that might be it yeah something like that <laughs> i don't know i was thinking i should put a serusophone piece now on though because <laughs> I now have a Ceruza, working Ceruza phone that I just overhauled. The thing sounds amazing. That's, a, that's my new, one of my new horns. Would you share with us a special memory of a past performance? 
Sure. So, well, the highlight of my career by far is playing John Williams's alto sax concerto escapades with the Pittsburgh symphony and John Williams conducting. So that, yeah, nothing's going to beat that. So, and there again, I lucked out that um, Hal Leonard company does the recordings for John Williams's music that are, that's published for then people to listen to. And, and plus, so we, and for, plus for him to actually um, we're the first ones that read it published stuff so he mm-hmm. you know he can check to make sure everything sounds right so yeah this was wow it was a long time ago um he had written this concerto from it's it's music from catch me if you can with tom hanks and leonardo dicaprio well he wrote a three movement concerto from that it's really great it's alto sax vibes and bass and then mm-hmm. and, and orchestra um so he wrote this three movement concerto and so i did the I did this reading session of it. I had like two days to learn the thing. So uh, I worked really hard. Uh, so then he heard that. And uh, the big guy in LA, Dan Higgins, who did the movie, he did the premiere of the full piece with the Boston pops. And then he must not have been able to do the Pittsburgh one, which was only a couple of weeks or a week or two later. So he heard my recording and it's like, Oh, well, this guy can play it. And actually I knew, I knew this other guy too, a little bit that from when I lived in LA, even I sold him a saxophone at one point. <laughs> um, so, so it just worked out. So I guess call from John Williams. Oh, you want to play this escapade? Um, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so that, that was, that was the, the big highlight. I played that concerto other places, not with him again. And I have done some recordings actually after that with him, some TV spots that I recorded for him on all saxophone stuff. But um, so, yeah, that was that was the biggie. That was the biggie for sure. And like er, in my earlier days, I was in like the McDonald's All-American Band. And then I was also in the Disney All-American College Orchestra and all this stuff. And so, you know, I did a lot of TV spots for those different things, too. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so... But yeah, nothing's going to be the John Williams. <laughs> um, so what advice do you have for a young musician who aspires to have a career like yours? I would say practice a lot. Take lessons with this. This kills me now. I, I, I don't know if this is a trend around the country, but um, here in Indianapolis, they have the teachers that will come to the schools to teach. Well, there's only several of us really in town that play bassoon, really mm. play bassoon and can work on reeds and, you know, what really know what we're doing. Well, these kids are studying with these people that don't really play bassoon just because they'll go to their school. Right. And, you know, when I was young in Las Vegas, <clears throat> I was driving my, when, before I could drive, my mom was driving me every week to the best person in town to learn from. So, I think that's super important. You got to go study with the people who are actually do, really doing it, you know, really playing and, and can teach off, you know, also. So I would say if you're going to do the doubling thing, you know, take bassoon lessons from a real bassoonist, mm-hmm. <laughs> take saxophone lessons with a working saxophone player and flute and clarinet. Like I've taken lessons from just clarinet players and just flute players and then I've also taken some lessons um, from one of the big LA studio guys who was 
great. You know, he just plays everything really well. Um, and that was actually really super helpful because there were certain fingerings and certain things that uh, he taught me to do when you're coming from saxophone, you have to think this way, not where's a rig plain old flute player, <laughs> plain old flute, um, wouldn't really, wouldn't know that. So, um, so yeah, don't be afraid to go seek people out, ask questions, take lessons, even just a couple really are soup can be super helpful. Um, make a lot of reads, <laughs> um, everybody you can find, see what they do with reads, you know, try their reads, try their bassoon, try their, um, different shapes all the time. Um, Karen Miller, the principal bassoonist out in Oregon. Mm -hmm. Um, I got to hang out with her a few times this past year and she's awesome. We had such a good time. We're, we're read geeks the same. (laughs) (laughs) So I think she has like half a dozen of my shapers right now still, but, uh, she's same thing. It's like just trying everything. So she, she's doing that. And, um, I got a couple new shapers. I got to make some reads from and try different things. So I'm always, always, don't try, don't switch too many things at once though, too, because you can screw mm-hmm. yourself up. Um, but I'm always experimenting and it's, you know, I feel like things get better and better and better and better. They can get worse for a second and then <laughs> better again. Um, so yeah, I would say just a lot of practice, a lot of read making. Don't be afraid to ask people for help. I think that's super important. Well, before we sign off, is there anything else that you would like to point our listeners to or anything else that you'd like to dish about on Double Read Dish? I would. There's, uh, I've, I've gotten into, well, I, I started electric bassoon playing back in my Boston days, actually. I was playing in this avant-garde big band where I was playing bassoon and Barry Sachs and I got an electric thing. So um, I've been doing it a long time as well, as well as Paul Hansen. Um, and lately... I started an electric bassoon band. So there's six of us all electrified and a really great rock drummer. <laughs> so we play like Led Zeppelin and Metallica and even Britney Spears and Beyonce and Beatles, and all sorts of stuff. Um, so we're, we're playing all over the place. Um, we're up on YouTube and Facebook rock E capital E bassoon. And then um, I played the national anthem at a roller derby Believe it or not, a couple a couple of years ago on electric bassoon and people were just like i kind of start out normal and then at the bridge part i hit the distortion <laughs> you know kind of rock out and people just like were flipped out so um i've Did gotten they give do- you an honorary derby name oh no oh. <laughs> my wife's got one my new wife has one she's a bone crusher her last name her last name's bone but uh yeah so consequently I, i've i've gotten an now just last year i played for the nba pacers games um two times on electric bassoon and once on alto sax so i've gotten i was the very first i think probably ever to play bassoon first you know solo for a national nba game let alone electric bassoon so and every <laughs> time i do it people are just like I can't believe it, you know. That the, what's You're like, coming that oboe sounds really good. That oboe, exactly. <laughs> that I get that every time. Actually, we still get that every time. Really, Rocky, liked your oboe playing or Rocky bassoon? It's in our name, Rocky bassoon. <laughs> Those oboes sound amazing. Okay, thanks. <laughs> 
Mark Ortwine, thank you so, so much for joining us on Double Redish. We had such a good time talking to you and we're so appreciative of you being generous with your time. Oh, sure. We hope you enjoyed that episode. Um, we're getting ready to go on the road. So if you are not on the run, not on the run, on the road, we are not going to Thelma and Louise this tour. Maybe we will. <laughs> I'm not making any promises. But if you are at the University of Kansas, University of Arkansas, University of Iowa, or UMKC, or in a drivable distance, we would love for you to come see us and our friend Fabio on tour. Galit, who's coming up on the next episode? Oh my God, y'all are going to lose your minds. We talked to John Simer, repair person extraordinaire. This and was a we, really cool interview. We asked the tough questions and we got the tough answers. <laughs> Jackie, let's end this nerd parade. Go make reads. Definitely make reads for tour, though. Oh, yeah. I got to do it. Me too. Uh, Well, let's end this so I can go make reads. Oh, God. Okay.